You and I wonder, I wonder how we would feel if we were facing most of the rest of our lives behind bars. For me as a claustrophobic, it would not be pretty at all. Or what if we uh, had made so many bad decisions in our lives that we felt like we could never make the right decision? That's exactly what we're going to talk about today on This Alabama Life. Welcome to This Alabama Life. I'm Don Keith, your host. Andrea Tice, our co-host, is here. Good to be here, Don. Great to see you. I'm a writer, and I talk a lot about writing, about books, about the structure of writing. Uh, And I often wonder, if if you could have only one book, if all the other books disappeared, which one would you pick? Well, I would... uh... I I do say this in sincerity. I'm not being cliche. I would want the Bible. I know a lot of people would say that. It's only the best-selling book of all time, so I guess, you know. Uh, But for a a young man named Will Willing, fury, rage, reaction when he arrived at a prison cell in Michigan, probably to spend the rest of his life there, Mm. uh, that led to a uh, snarky, distorted negotiation with God a delayed and unbidden answer from that negotiation, uh-huh. a move to Alabama, which explains why he's part of this podcast, since we try to feature people from Alabama who have done remarkable or uplifting or inspiring or entertaining things. That's, that's right. And uh, it also involves the misjudgment of a very pregnant woman who had made some very poor choices in life. And she was very much aware of that. Uh, she had been disowned by her family. Uh, but she later would become uh, Will Willing's wife. Uh, see, it's an intricate story, and there comes the structure of a, a book or a story. Well, this is the story of uh, Will and Kate Willing of Alabama, as told to you, Andrea Tice. That's right. Let's get right into it. The interview I had with Will and Kate Willing of Auburn, Alabama, was completely unscripted and without agenda on my part or theirs. I just wanted to hear their stories after a reliable source told me it was going to be good. And yet, as I was listening to both of them recount their life-altering events, the same elements of a classic five-act play just unfolded right before my very ears. There was exposition, rising action, climax, falling action, and sweet resolution. The audio clips of Will and Kate that I put together are going to be very much like a verbal dance with close and similar steps working in concert with each other to move both of their stories across the stage at the same time and through the various acts. This story is about two people whose starting point was deficient in love and leadership. It was further complicated by their desperate decisions and ultimately resolved by divine interruption. The first act starts with their childhood and the all too common and crushing father wound. My childhood kind of had me never really wanting to have kids at all. Um, never wanting to be married, like it, it just wasn't wasn't quite on the radar. Um, I was raised by a single mom, never met my dad, don't know anything about him. So I don't know what's true, what's a lie, what's uh, like, it's just so obscure. Won't talk about it. Um, don't know if he's alive or dead even right now. Like don't know anything. Um, I actually, my mom lives in Michigan and I actually just got back from there. My mom, like, she worked hard. She was she was sharp. She was on top of things, from what I can remember. Um, before my mom met my little sister's dad, I really have nothing but positive memories. I really, I really like, 
you know, and I've got some pretty far back memories. So, well, she remarried because she got pregnant with, with my sister, right? It was just, it was this real, like, whirlwind thing. Um, I remember, I mean, I was only seven years old, but I remember it was just like, all of a sudden, it was like, hey, we're, we're moving, okay? And we're moving in with this guy. And truth be honest, I, I never liked the guy. Like, from the first day I met him, I never liked him. The, the, the whole situation is Jerry Springer, I'll put it that way, if that makes any sense. I don't know, about, about 12 years old is when it got to where it was just not good at all. And he was, like, gone. He split was doing other things or whatever. And so now it was kind of like my mom, my sister and I, and I was becoming hard for a single mom to handle, right? And I think she was doing everything she could. Um, but I mean, I was just, I was hard headed. I, I was doing what I wanted to and she just had no, no bark, no teeth. You're grounded. No, I'm not. You are. Like, what, is, what does a mom do with that, I mean, she tried weapons. She tried, I mean, she tried, I mean, it it wasn't like she didn't try, you know. I just was, I was, there was nothing she could do. She had no credibility, no teeth, no, nobody to back her up. And I was just running things, doing whatever I wanted to do. But I grew up in South Florida in just crazy party town. I mean, I grew up Roman Catholic and never fully understood a relational God per se. I just, we would go Easter, Christmas, like, you know, whenever the holidays came around. And um, we ha I grew up in a really wild house. I mean, there was yelling, screaming, abuse, like not many people knew about that because my father was the captain of the police department and my mom was a doctor of physical therapy and it was very much hidden behind money and just, um, you know, there was a face to the outside and nobody really knew what was going on behind closed doors. And so at the end of my, my high school career, I started dabbling into drugs. I lost my virginity at 16, sneaking out of the house, but was able to keep a lot of that super low key. I mean, I learned a lot on how to hide stuff because of the way that my parents functioned with me. And I don't think my parents thought twice about it because that's how they were raised. And so just generationally, I can look back and kind of see... I don't really know if they even thought twice about it. And to this day, it's something we don't even talk about. And so by about 15, it was hitting real bad. Like I was done with school. I didn't want anything to do with school. Um, and she's like, we're arguing. We can't be in the same room like this without it just being explosive, like explosive domestic stuff. Cops wanting to, her calling the cops on me because I'm destroying the house because I'm just infuriated by what she's got going on and she's saying you're not going here you're not going there and I'm saying I am going there and her trying to stop and then me going anyways and her trying to discipline that it just it just was it, it was bad and I just got to the point to where I was I was I was done I'd rather be homeless than than be like be in this house and there was just one time she hit me with the if you don't like the rules of my house and pack your bags and get out I was like I'm gone. I'm out of here. And that's what I did. And she called the cops and told them that we were had guns and drugs all over us. And so they pulled us over nine squad cars deep and they ended up taking me home. And she she was working a midnight shift at that time. So I just waited until she went to work and I disappeared. I disappeared and didn't talk to her for four years.
I was I was convinced at that time that she hated me. She didn't like I was I was convinced that that she hates me. She's making my life hell. I I, I don't want anything to do with her. And that was legitimate. I really didn't. There's a B.J. Thomas song that's titled No Love at All. And part of the lyrics in that song go a little bit of love is better than no love. Even a bad love is better than no love. And even a sad love is better than no love at all. Walking into life with an emotional and spiritual deficit leads both Will and Kate to act two in their early adulthood. It's called Filling the Void. Not feeling that solid foundation in love, especially from my father, I search for that. I mean, we are all wired to have that love from your earthly father as a reflection of your love from the heavenly father. And because I was lacking that, I searched for it among all the wrong places. When I went to college here at Auburn, I fell off the deep end. I mean, I was partying Wednesday through Saturday, like you could find me at the bars all the time. I remember it being a cool thing to be a Christian here, and I thought that was so odd that there were so many, like, quote-unquote believers. And I started going to church uh, with some of my friends, just the college church on Wednesday nights. And so I knew there was a God, could see how this relationship was cool. I felt this good, tingly, like nice feeling like this is great. I feel great after going to this church. But then we would go right down to drink specials right, right after leaving. Like the lifestyle did not change. My junior year of Auburn, I found out I was pregnant, unexpectedly, unplanned. Uh, my boyfriend at the time didn't want me to keep the baby, so he dipped out. I was running with some bad crowds. I mean, we were selling drugs, using drugs, robbing people. Like we were, at, I mean, the Lord showed me after I got saved that during like this period of my life, not a day went by I didn't break the law. Like we were, we were not good, not good. But when I was 18, I ended up getting this, this, this girl pregnant and Throughout the midst of that, it's funny that when I was 13, I made a promise to myself that my kids would never grow up without a dad, right? And so at 18, when this girl ends up pregnant, my response was, well, I'm not ready to be a dad, so we need to go have an abortion. So rather than me having a kid that's not gonna have a dad, we'll just kill him. But that's not the way I thought about it back then. Back then, I was just like, we have a problem. Abortion is the solution. Whew, glad we took care of that. Like it was, it, it didn't hurt my heart. It didn't, I never gave it a second thought. I was just like, whoo, okay, we dodged that. That was, it was a little expensive, but it is what it is. At least it's over with. And that caught up to me, I was 19. And that caught up to me and I caught a, a case that was, was a pretty serious case. I got convicted and the judge sentenced me to 15 to 45 years. There is a cycle that's on constant repeat in this broken world of human relationships, one that Will and Kate are fully embroiled in at this point in their lives. Let me dare to put it in a formulaic phrase. An imperfect hurting person plus another equally imperfect hurting person will always equal an imperfect incomplete relationship. If you add to that formula the variables of personal crisis or crime, then the sum goes up to fractured relationships, separation, and isolation. In the state of Michigan, they were they had what was called truth and sentencing, which meant their prison systems had no good time. So you like you did 365 days per year 
of your minimum before you were able to see the parole board. So I, at 19 years old, my earliest release date was gonna be when I was 34. At 19, thoughts of suicide, you can't see 34 from 19, like it's over. I remember after I got sentenced, I went down and I was in a, in a jail cell um, in the courthouse. And I just remember sitting with my head in my hands just like this. And uh, I prayed a prayer that went, God, if there is a God, I really need some help. Um, like, so I had left the county jail, went to prison, and I'm in quarantine. And quarantine is supposed to last like three weeks where they run a bunch of tests, like, you know, mental tests, physical tests, health tests, all that. They just put you through this testing before they pick where you're going to go and actually do your time. And, um, but because I had got sentenced to so much time, it made my security level high. And so it was hard for them to find a bed for me based on my security level. So I ended up being in quarantine for 12 weeks, which is way longer than what's supposed to happen. Now I had zero privileges there. Well, you were in your cell for 23 hours a day. And the only thing you can do is push ups and twiddle your thumbs. Like that's, that's it. You don't have anything to read. There's no music, there's no TV, nothing. You, you've, got a, you've got a bunk, a locker, and a toilet, and then bars on both sides of your cell. Like, the way Jackson Penitentiary is, is just envision Hollywood prison scenes where it's just like cells as far as you can see, mezzanines high. Yeah. That, that's Jackson, and that's what quarantine is. You're, just, you're in this big old birdcage, and you, you're just a warehoused human being. That's what you are. I remember being terrified to tell my parents. Um, I flew home and I thought I was going to tell them in person, but I chickened out telling my parents. Um, but I left a picture of the ultrasound in a note. <laughs> and I never advise girls to do this <laughs> on my bed. And I'm like, surely my mom will find it. And so every time she'd call me, I would panic thinking she found the letter, she found the ultrasound. And of course she didn't, you know, it wouldn't be that time. And so I was just living in this constant state of stress. And I'll, I'll never forget this phone call. I answered the phone thinking, okay, maybe she saw it. And she was calm as a cucumber. And I'm like, okay, she didn't find it yet. And she's like, hey, I found your note. And I just couldn't believe that she was so calm. And she's like, I'll send you some money. There's a place in Atlanta, you can take care of it. And I was dumbfounded in that moment. I don't know why I thought my parents would somehow want to figure it out, but it just rocked me to my core. At that point, I had already stumbled upon a Women's Hope Medical Clinic, a pregnancy resource center, and I really weighed out all of my options. My boyfriend was pushing for abortion. Um, I went to Women's Hope, saw an ultrasound, saw a heartbeat. I was pretty set on parenting at that point. But then there was this like big gap of what my parents were going to say and what they would want me to do. Um, and once I started explaining like, mom, I, I, I've seen the ultrasound, I've seen the heartbeat, like, I just don't think I can go through with that. She's like, well, we're, we're going to pull everything then. I'm going to come get your car. You don't have any more money. Like every, you want to do this, do it on your own. Don't come home. They pulled all like emotional and financial support. I had loans at the time. They left my car alone. Like, so we were not on speaking terms whatsoever. Fortunately, there is another formula that's at work within human relationships. It's a divine formula, and it has exponential impact when quietly inserted into scenes of human desperation if it is received by the one who finds themselves going it alone. Writer and theologian C.S. Lewis labeled this pursuit as the hound of heaven who does not leave us to our own devices. Lewis also wrote, We may ignore, but we can nowhere evade the presence of God. The world is crowded with him. 
He walks everywhere, incognito. Act 3, found by the Hound of Heaven. If you're a parole violator, what they'll do is when you ride back to prison, sentenced back to prison because you violated your parole, those are the guys that they get to work at quarantine. So those are the guys that work in the kitchen. Those are the guys that clean the prisons. Those are the guys that, you know, they get the jobs there. Well, one of those guys got in a fight and went to the hole. And so they were moving me into that block since I had, since I was like a long timer in quarantine. And so they had another inmate in there that was packing up that guy's stuff. Well, he had magazines, he had a radio, books, all kinds of stuff in there that I haven't seen in eight weeks. Yeah. And so I, I told the, I told the, the, the inmate, I was like, man, leave some of them books, leave some of them books. And he did. Um, however, the guard came back and said, get in there and get all these books. And so I was like, oh, I'm feeling all dejected and depressed. And I went and threw my duffel bag down. I had all my prison issue clothes in it. And I was just sitting there like this. And uh, something caught my corner of my eye like this. And on behind the toilet, in the back corner of the cell, there was a book that was just sitting back there. And I, I knew exactly what it was. Because this is kind of stuff that's been happening to me. This is how, like, God was pursuing me. Like, I'm finding tracks. People are trying to invite me to church. Like, come come to our prison church. And I'm like, miss me with that. You know, like, I don't want anything to do with it. Um, but I saw that, that that book caught my eye. And I just remember, I was cussing. Them, this is going to be one of Muslim Bibles and... And I'm just, I'm, I'm like going off about it. I, was, I don't want anything to do with it, but I'm just mad about it. But I got up, went, picked it up, and sure enough, it was a Bible. And I just, I was just shaking it. I was just shaking it. I'm like, man, this is, this is crazy. And uh, I got mad. I was like, man, there's been so many wars and controversies fought over this thing. Let me just, let me read it just so I can say, I ain't got nothing but time anyways. And um, it's funny because at that time, I had never read a book straight through. I had never read a book. I had never really committed myself to anything and at this point I just was like committing myself to say I'm going to read this thing so I can say I've read the Bible cover to cover whatever that'll mean so I just went on that endeavor and hated every second of it all of a sudden I was just faced with oh my gosh like the world my boyfriend my parents they're, they're telling me quick fix get rid of it move on there's no way you're going to finish school if you keep this baby or do I trust in this God that I've been hearing about? I don't really know yet, but there's something inside of my heart that's pulling me to, this is a life. Like you, you need to see the way that I would have you choose. And so I decided to parent. I mean, I am a very stubborn, hard-headed person, much like my spouse. Um, and I said, you know what? They don't think I can do it. Watch me. And you know what? God, this God, whoever you are, like... I'm, I'm jumping. I'm jumping in full force. And so I would get up before, you know, child and just try to read one chapter a day. And, and I just stay committed to five minutes, one chapter a day. And uh, I was, uh, I had done that for a little over a year. And so I was, I was at the prison where I was going to do some time. And I'm like, I'm settled in. I've been there for about a year and uh, just kind of just stayed reading five minutes a day. Brutal. Hated it. Um, but after about a year of that, I had made it to Matthew. And I woke up this morning, just opened it up all brutally, like I usually, just very reluctantly, like, all right, let me get through this. And I came across Matthew 6, 33. 
And it says, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and all its righteousness and everything else will be added unto you. But I extremely interpreted that wrong. But it was the first time that I kind of understood anything. And, and what I saw there was something I could do to move the hand of this supposed God that I didn't know, that I didn't believe in. But this thing right here is telling me that if I seek the kingdom first, everything else will be added unto me. And there's one thing I want added unto me. One thing. And that's to get this prison sentence, this monkey, off of my back. Well, this morning when I read Matthew 6 and 33, I start pacing in my cell about it. Because I'm like, okay, God, you're supposed to be this guy that can't tell a lie. I don't know how I knew that. I just know that God wires us to know he's good, to yeah. know he's perfect, right? I can see that now. But like, if we just entertain him a little bit, all of a sudden we like instantly know, okay, if there's a God, he's got to be perfect and he can't tell a lie. We just know that, right? And I, that's why I just start reasoning. You're supposed to be this God that's got to keep your promise. And I said, well, right here, if this is really from God, this is, this is showing me that I, if I seek the kingdom first, everything else is going to be added unto me. Okay, well, here's your chance, God. And I, like, I'm getting lippy with him. I'm like, here's your chance. I say, you don't even need to add everything unto me. Like, so I'm negotiating with him with his own word. Like, you don't need to add everything unto me. I just want one thing. And short, I got it after that. But short of that one thing, like, I'm going to know this book's a fraud because your promise wasn't kept. You, what you said would happen didn't happen. And so now I don't have to keep reading this book. So it was kind of like, it was kind of, it was, it was, it was almost like my out to get out of having to continue to read this brutal book that I, I, it's a part of my life that I hate right now. It was funny because as I started to like think about it and walk through, okay, I'm like, all right, what does it mean to seek the kingdom first? Like, what does that eat? I don't even know what that means. I have no idea what that means. And so I wrestled with that all day, um, but it was all I could think about. It was the whole rest of the day. It was like all I could think about. And I'm like, okay, what I don't want is one of these corny Christians coming up to me later and being like, uh, did you really seek the kingdom first though? And I wanted to, I don't want there to be gray area. Like I want to be able to look that person in the eye and go off on them. You are the biggest moron ever. I can't believe you believe in that mess. Like I, I didn't, I didn't want there to be gray area. I didn't want her to be like, well, you know, I tried it for a day or like I was, I was, I was going to go all in on this thing so that I could know that what, when I'm going off on this Christian, I, I, I'm, I'm on solid ground, if you will, as I call this person a moron for believing this mess. And so I started attending church a little bit more regularly, not just on Wednesdays, but starting to go on Sundays. And there were these college girls that I knew of, wasn't really friends with them. They were all going to Passion. And one of the girls asked me if I was going and I had no idea what this was, but they had an extra like spot in their hotel room. So I told them I would go with them had no idea what to expect. They didn't know I was pregnant. And I walked into that arena with thousands of college students and I was dumbfounded. Like in my small little mind, I truly didn't think there were that many college students that love the Lord. Like this was a whole nother realm that was being opened up to me. Um, and so anyway, we're sitting there, there's praise and worship music. I'm like, this is nuts. <laughs> It's like a Christian concert. I just thought this was the wildest experience ever. And then everyone sits down and they pull out their Bibles and their notebook. I didn't get the memo. Didn't know you're supposed to bring stuff like that to these events, you know. 
And there was a guy on stage, um, and before he starts preaching, he starts praying. And I didn't know who he was at the time, but it was Louis Giglio. Okay. Now I know very well who he is. Let me give you a kind of a picture of what my life looked like at this time, like how I was spending my time. So in a level four facility in Michigan, we were allowed an hour in the morning, an hour in the afternoon, and an hour in the evening out of our cells. That was it. So it's 21 hours a day lockdown in your cell. One of the things you could do to get extra time out of your cell was go to the law library. And so I was going to law library call outs every day, which would give me like another two to three hours in a law library. Cause that's where all my hope was, right? Like I'm going to study these law books. I'm going to find some kind of loophole and I'm going to file a motion and that's how I'm going to get out of prison. Like that's, that's, that's where my hope was. It was all right there. Um, and, and so I canceled my law library call outs. Canceled all those. Um, I figured it had something to do with this book and, you know, just pre prepared myself the whole rest of that day to start tomorrow of whatever it meant to seek the kingdom first. And um, went to bed that night. It was all I could think about. I'm like, okay, like tomorrow's, we're, tomorrow we're going to give this thing a shot and see what it means. And so I went to bed and I woke up and it was like, all right. And it was like, kind of, let's see what this is all about. Um, and everyone's feverishly, you know, writing notes, glue-glue's talk or whatever, and he starts praying, and he stops, and he says, there's a girl, college student, in this arena right now, and she just found out she's pregnant. I don't want to cry, but like, in that moment, it was like, the God that I needed to hear that could see me, he saw, like, not only did he see me, like, he saw me among thousands of other people. And Louis Giglio just confirmed, like, you are going to be okay. Like, everything's, you know, God's going to carry you through this. And it really was in that moment where I was like, holy crap, this God thing's real. <laughs> and I'm going to do this. And Lord, like, here we go. I opened up the Word of God, and it was, I, I, I can't explain, I mean, I know now it's just Holy Spirit pulling blinders, but I opened up the Word, and all of a sudden, could not read without understanding. All of it began to make sense. Like, I started to be able to discern prophecy, the historical context, um, you know, the po the poetic stuff, like, stuff was coming back, so I was like, oh yeah, like, I was flipping back and forth from Old Testament to New Testament, and all of a sudden, it was all I wanted to do. Wow. I don't want to do anything else. Like, I, I was skipping meals so I could say, like, I'm, I'm blown away. Like, the creator of the heavens and the earth is speaking to me. These words are jumping off of the page into my eyes, down into my heart, and they're, they're sinking in and taking root. And I'm just, like, getting goosebumps right now, just remembering, like, what God was doing in that moment. I had no idea what it was. But... One day turned into two days, two days turned into two months, two months turned into two years of just like, this is, my life just revolved around his word. As Will's story unfolds, there's a particular verse from Scripture that comes to mind, Isaiah 55, 10 through 11, 
where it says that just as the rain and snow fall from heaven and do not return there without first saturating the earth, making it germinate and sprout and providing seed to sow and food to eat, so the words coming from God's mouth will never return to him empty. What would be the modern day paraphrase of that idea put into this particular situation? Well, even an unwanted Bible left behind a prison toilet of all places, a severely misapplied verse, and a stubborn, fierce determination to prove all the dumb Christians wrong cannot put a mere scratch, much less a dent, into God's plan for a person and their ultimate good. Um, so you fast forward and uh, I had nowhere to live at the time. So I had rented an apartment with my sorority sisters. My parents were on that lease, but my lease was up. And so my life had drastically changed from what it was. I couldn't raise a baby with a bunch of sorority sisters. And because I didn't have any credit, I couldn't sign my own lease. I needed a co-signer, but couldn't find somebody to do it for me. So that was a really scary time because I just didn't have the resources to figure out where was I going to live and thinking about living and and in like in a sheer panic, my older sister stepped in and she's like, I, I don't want you to tell our parents, but I'll co-sign on this lease, but you've got to promise you'll never miss a rent payment because she was fresh out of college at that time. And so I made that promise to her and I waited tables all night, went to school all day, like up until I had a big swollen belly. I mean, I was waiting tables on my feet all night, walking to campus all day. And I'll never forget this moment. Um, after passion, just kind of recapping on my entire life. I'm in my new apartment setting. People were helping me set up the nursery for Hudson and just to see how much God had provided. I mean, I had diapers and baby clothes, cribs, like I was not lacking in any way. And I'm on my knees in my apartment and just said, you know what, God, if it's just me and Hudson for the rest of our lives, like I'm here to serve you. So I guess four years down the line, I had a, I had a thing that I would do um, where I would just go spend time with Jesus. And I'd do this daily where I'd go to the back, back 40, like the very furthest part of the yard you could go, like when there was about 15 minutes left for it before they'd close the yard because it would be empty. There'd be like maybe one or two guys out there walking around and I would always be one of them. And I'd just go get along with Jesus and I'd call it my praise walk. And sometimes I'd worship, sometimes I'd pray. It was just, it was just my time to just be outside in nature with Jesus. And uh, I was just out there walking, doing like I always did. And the Spirit stopped me in my tracks. And I, I heard the Lord just ask me, did I keep my promise? And it stopped me in my tracks. And my mind went right back to that cell where I started arguing with God. Okay, God, you're supposed to be this guy that's got to keep your promise. And, um, it was, it just, it really stopped me in my tracks and it made me think after I was thinking in that cell, which I hadn't really thought like that wasn't a profound thing to me until this moment, you know, not at this moment when the Holy Spirit is throwing my remembrance back there to be like, I was there and now you're here and I want to know, do you think I kept my promise? And, um, in that moment, I was just, I was blown away and I just told the father, I was like, you've, you, you've given me your son who who shed his blood for me gave me eternal life um like you have given me everything you bankrupted heaven so that i could be with you yes you have kept your promise everything else has been added unto me and i really don't care about this world at all 
Like you've opened my eyes to where my hope really is. In this world, it this whole life can just pass by the wayside because I'm I've got my eyes on heaven. And uh, I told him right then and there, I said, Father, you've got me. I said, if you send me home tomorrow, I'm going to go home and serve you. If you want me to do my max in this, so you want me to do 45 years in this place, it's a huge mission field. You can use me here too. Wherever you go, I'm going to serve you. And it was two weeks later, I get called into the counselor's office because I got a phone call. Never a good thing in prison. The, the only way you get to use the counselor's phone is if family member dies. And they're like, Willing, you got a phone call. I'm like, what? what do you mean I got a phone call? You know, like that's not a good thing. And so I just prayed and walked over there. I'm like, Lord, if something's wrong with my family, you know, I, I still trust you. Is basically where I was. And um, I remember I picked up the phone and uh, I said, hello. And the voice on the line said, just like this, Mr. Willing, my name's Jonathan Sachs and I'm a court appointed appellate attorney. And I was appointed to, to look at your case. And he said, um, I looked over your transcripts and I found a few issues and flaws in your trial that um, I raised issue on. And today I went and had oral arguments in front of the Court of Appeals and they agreed and they have vacated your conviction and granted you a new trial. And uh, he said, he, he just kind of, he said, now you're not going to be able to go home right now because you've got another case that's holding you there. But the case, your big case has been vacated. Going back to the county jail, just what God did through me in the county jail right there, like I, I just really want him to do that again because he, he really just took me over and let me know that I wasn't going back to county jail for me. Even though it looked like, yeah, you, you, you're going back to trial. Like there's a lot of things happening in your life. He made it clear, like, you're not going back for you. I've got things for you to do there. So I'm having to send you back there to make an impact on somebody. And he, he let me know. And so my preparation to go back to the county jail had nothing to do with my court. It had to be like, okay, use me. These guys are coming off of the streets hooked on heroin, hooked on crack, coming from places like to where the gospel's not preached. In Detroit, the gospel's not preached there. I mean, there's people trying to preach the gospel, but there is a ton of people who have never heard the gospel before in their life. In America. In America. I took a, I took a plea deal of a seven and a half to 20. So it cut my time down to me only having three years left. So was, I had about four years in, four and a half in, and um, so it left me with like three, three and a half years to serve um, after that. And so um, a lot happened there. Like I got taught how to um, lead a Bible study by the Holy Spirit, just like showing me how to, how to love well, how to lead men, how to um, love the unlovable, I guess would be a good way to, but also refining my heart, my thought processes. What am I looking for? Like this guy going from, you know, never wanting to be married to all of a sudden praying over my wife and not knowing who that's going to be. Um, but but just knowing that that's going to be a calling, you know. Another writer from England, G.K. Chesterton, once wrote about the need for earthly friendship. He said there are no words to express the abyss between isolation and having just one ally. It may be conceded to the mathematician that four is twice two, but two is not twice one. Two is two thousand times one. So as Will and Kate continue in their newfound walk with God, the great playwright decides to write in a twist and join their individual plot lines together in Act Four.
I had to change my internship for the semester in order to graduate because I was a child life major and you have to intern at a hospital, a children's hospital. But because I was so far in my pregnancy, about five months in, there was no way I'd have to, I'd have to relocate to finish my um, internship. So I went back to the Pregnancy Resource Center and asked if they had any internship opportunities available. And they're like, absolutely. But you got to go through this 20-hour training to be a, a client advocate. I was like, all right, cool. Count me in. Three days after I was off parole with $1,500 in my clothes, I left Michigan, um, headed to the only place in the world where I knew someone who didn't live in Michigan. And that was in Auburn, Alabama. About a year later, um, I was sitting in church and the pastor was kind of, it was the election year. And the pastor said, I'm not going to tell you all who to vote for. But he said, what I will tell you is that I'm a single issue voter. And I vote on basically, how does a candidate feel about the sanctity of life? And instantly the spirit's like, yeah, that's exactly how I'm going to vote, right? And uh, so there was a woman there that was giving her testimony about her having an abortion and how she worked for this organization that helped people who were post-abortive, but also helped people who find out they're in unplanned pregnancies and, and, and let them know, like, you're loved, you can do this, abortion is not your only option. And uh, the Holy Spirit, as this was all going on, I was sitting in the pews, and the Holy Spirit is slapping me around, you need to go here, you need to go here, and the place is called Women's Hope. And so I'm arguing, I'm like, what am I gonna do at Women's Hope? I'm, I'm a guy, it's called Women's Hope, right? But it, it was so real, so intense, so heavy on me that uh, I, I couldn't help but beeline for that woman right after service. There happened to be this one girl that was standing out in that class, and she was like five months pregnant. Clearly, she had to be married if she's pregnant, you know? Um, and, and, and that was just the assumption I made. But that gal ha happened to be this girl right here. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where the story gets good. So I walk into a sea of, you know, 17 people, and I think it was February of, was it February? 20, yeah, February Yeah. And um, anyway, they're all females and this one male, and we're sitting across the room from each other, and we just start digging into our training. And this guy knows so much about the Bible. I was blown away. I had never seen any guy that was in love with Jesus, not on a personal level where Everything he talked about, you know, and the way that he loved the Lord, I just was taken. It took my breath away in, you know, a sense. And it was a bit annoying because he kept quoting King James Version of the Bible. <laughs> and I thought, what is this old English? <sighs> After I had Hudson, Will kind of saw that on social media and started coming over to my apartment, bringing meals and just checking in on me. And all of a sudden there was just this, thought of like, oh my gosh, like this is the guy that I'm supposed to marry. And I, I had just had a baby and I had just been burned so badly. And I wanted to do things the Lord's way. Like uh, I just had lived everything so backwards that I knew I wanted to do it right this time around. And so dating him, even for as short of a time as we dated, it was just so important to me that the Lord was very involved in that. Mm -hmm. And I love speaking life into girls that have not done things the way that the Lord's intended because he can revive that. 
Um, and he can restore that because I even remember Will, we laugh about it all the time. I'm throwing it in there. (laughs) Will tried to kiss me for the first time after a date and I had not heard that this is what the Lord wanted for me. And so I turned my cheek and he he got the cheek. It only made me want her more. That's all it did. She had no clue. I'll never forget it because the girl that you found in the bar that would kiss any guy and felt like she was worth nothing, all of a sudden was this girl who knew her worth in Christ and who wouldn't even allow a man that she really, really loved at that time to kiss her without the Lord's permission, really, in acceptance of this relationship. And here yet is another formula at play in life. Those who have experienced the excruciating pain themselves and have been helped out by others keenly know how best to encourage those who are currently in the battle. And so now we're at Act 5 and the resolution that comes full circle, a re-entry into the starting point with a different perspective, a whole new purpose, and a changed heart. Kept having babies. They're two, they're two years apart, stair-stepped, and so I felt a calling to focus on my family. And uh, I guess it was, uh, it was a Sunday night back in, I guess, 2016? It, but it was it was Sunday night, and uh, we we were just hanging around, and a friend of a friend of a friend, who knew a lot about us, reached out at like eight thirty at night and said, "I got this girl that's got a an abortion scheduled for tomorrow. Will, will you come talk to her?" And so she was like, "I'm on my way," and she went and talked to that girl and sat across from this college student on her couch in her apartment as she bawled her eyes out and said she didn't know what she was going to do and. I got to organically share my story with her. I was no longer working for a pregnancy resource center, but man, to be back in the game like that was really, really wild. But Kate could tell that she had, she had some sound background, like in theology. She was just, she was just kind of like, "What do I do? I'm a college student, you know. Like, I, I, I don't want to do this, but I don't have a choice." And um, she ended up not, which is awesome. Yeah. But that is kind of what pulled our story back you know into that world per se you know the story just kind of carries on um because that's what she does now every day baby steps is a local nonprofit, and that's where i work now i'm the director of operations for them um, but we help empower students at auburn university to have their education and their babies by providing them housing community and support um, so different than a pregnancy resource center because those are Christian-based, right? And so Baby Steps is a non-faith-based 501c3 for many reasons. Um, the biggest being when you find out you're pregnant, there is a stigma attached attached to Christianity. And it just is what it is, especially when you're living a lifestyle that is, especially in the Bible Belt, you know does not line up biblically. You tend to run from resources that claim Christianity. I mean, it's like you're wearing that big scarlet letter sin. With Baby Steps, we get to partner with the university and really link arms and help these girls reach these girls who come from an array of backgrounds, no matter what their political, religious, um, socioeconomic background is, our doors are wide open to help them finish school. And that's a resource that I never had, but at the time I would have given anything for somebody to really walk alongside me and help me finish my degree because you're talking about generations 
aspirations are impacted by a girl finishing college. And so I get to work alongside these girls. Some find out they're pregnant and come live with us. And um, some come to us once their babies are born. But we get to walk them through their four years at Auburn and help them in any capacity possible. The Willings have returned to a starting point together as changed individuals. They're walking in God's love, strength, and presence, fully aware of what others are experiencing and need to hear. The Willings are willing to serve and willing to speak truth to those in dark and desperate moments right here in Alabama. Well, when I finally got to the point of where God is refining my sin, right, and I'm in prison for crimes committed, it was like he brought those two abortions. They just floated to the top. And it was just like, this is where you need repentance. This is where you need restoration. This is where you need to be healed. This is where you need to understand. And it just like all the sun went from no big deal. Whew, glad we dodged that bullet to what have I done? You know, it just, and that's, that's, that, that just shows the heart, right? Like that shows what God's, God does to the heart. Cause my heart is hardened as stone. It's junk. Like it just, it looks at that type of thing. Like, whoo, whoo. Man, like that was an inconvenience. Glad we took care of that. So all of a sudden, like the weight and the gravity of it is crushing, you know, and he's there to pick up the pieces. What a truly remarkable story of somebody who completely changed their lives. And in the process, they're completely changing the lives of so many other people. That's right. And, you know, as we're listening to it, those who have listened to This Alabama Life so far will hearken back to the original story we had with Brian Dawson. It's another prison story, but still a lot of variety, a lot of uh, personality within that, as only God can do. so we felt like we needed to play this story again. If you have not listened to or watched episode one of This Alabama Life, you need to do that. That's Brian Dawson, who's CEO of 1819 News, who uh, happens to put on this particular podcast. I, I don't think any of us could imagine what it would be like facing most of the rest of your life in prison. And yet, uh, Will Willing, Brian Dawson, took that, ran with it, and thank God they did. That's right. That's right. Great stories about uh, Alabamians who have done remarkable things. That's what this Alabama life is all about. And we appreciate your support. If you're watching or listening now, you've obviously discovered us. We hope you'll help other people discover us. We're available just about any place you can get uh, podcasts, including uh, iTunes through Apple, uh, YouTube. Uh, If you can't find anything else, go to the 1819news.com website, and you'll see under podcasts not only this one, but some other very interesting and very informative podcasts that are uh, provided by the folks of 1819 News. Well, that's our uh, episode for this time. Thank you so much for being with us, and we'll see you next time on This Alabama Life.